Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. During the last two weeks, we have been studying Romans chapter 1 and verse 1, and Paul's descriptions of himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and a called apostle. Today we are learning about his third claim of being separated unto the gospel. We'll jump right in with a little review from last week, as Pastor Murphy is referencing Revelation 2.2, where the angel wrote to the church of Ephesus, And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. You shouldn't call people liars today, you know that, right? We call them prevaricators, see? People who stretch the truth, see? But the language of scripture doesn't mince words. He said, you've tried these people who make this claim, who arrogate to themselves the office of apostles, and in examining them and trying them, you've discovered what? They are just liars. See, The Apostle Paul was aware that this was a problem in the New Testament church. And that is why he's given all these credentials, because you have rogue apostles in the New Testament church, and the Apostle Paul doesn't want to be slotted into that category. And therefore he makes these assertions and gives these credentials about himself. He's saying to these believers, I am an ambassador of Christ. I am Christ's representative. I am the authoritative voice that has been delegated to me in respect to the church. When I speak, God speaks. God inspires me to speak. I'm an apostle. See, that is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. So when he tell, what he's saying to them, look, the, the letter I'm writing to you is not just a personal letter written to other persons like myself. No. The Apostle Paul wants them to know that he is an accredited writer and that he's a servant of Jesus Christ and that he is called to be an apostle. Now I hope, I think we all understand the importance of getting a biblical understanding of these things. I pointed out to you that we are living in a day where huge claims are being made. Men are not ashamed to arrogate to themselves certain titles. And uh, there are a lot of claims that are being made. And all kinds of religious groups are now popping up on the scene. I have said this and I need to bear this in mind. Atheism will not conquer the day. Don't worry about atheism. That is not going to be what's going to happen in the end times. You're going to have a profusion of religion. See, Atheists will be there and they'll be vociferous and they'll be saying a few things. But don't ever be in, intimidated or fearful that the atheists will win the day. They can't win the day. It is very clear from the New Testament that prior to Christ coming back, what you're going to have is a lot of religious deception. That is what is going to rule uh, in the day. And whether we like it or not, these people that are making these bogus claims, we are going to rub shoulders with them. We're going to come into contact with them. Or why? Other people in our, in our, in our workplace are going to ask us questions in connection. And we've got to be able to give good, solid, biblical answers. And one of those questions that they will keep asking you again and again is, are there apostles? Somebody told me this week that, uh, if I saw something about an apostle coming to Antigua, first choice, pin on the, uh, the thing there. And by the way, guess who's the apostle? And guess who's the pastor? Now normally it's the, the man who is the apostle and the woman who's the pastor. This time it's reverse. The wife is the apostle 
and the man is a pastor. At least they got one thing right. And that's coming to Antigua. And by the way, when they have these services, those places are going to be packed. Take it from me. It's going to be packed. See. And Lord forbid that they should, any of the news writers or the journalists should come in here and hear the pastors say that there are no such things as apostles. Can you see what they would do with me on the media with that one? <laughs> Boy, by the time they finish with me, you don't want to come to church. <laughs> you don't want to come to church by the time they finish with me. See. Those are the kind of things that we find ourselves in. But I, I want to just say a few things uh, more in this matter, and then I come into that final claim, the Apostle Paul. Look, the point I want to make here is, uh, and I want to make this very clear, there is no such thing as apostolic succession. Uh, I, I hope you understand that, and I hope you believe that. The arrogant claim of the Roman Catholic Church is that the authority of the apostles had been handed down from one to the other, and until today, the current Pope has got apostolic authority. Now, let me show you the mockery of that. Who selects the Pope? Is it the Pope that comes before him? No. It's the Cardinals. So how can you have apostolic succession? In other words, the, the Pope that is current, the current Pope, he doesn't lay his hand on the Pope to come and say, I, I put this authority in you and you are now in the line of Simon Peter. No, it's the Cardinals. They select the Pope. So I, I, I'm having a hard time understanding why people, I, I don't know why there are people still, why they go to that church? It puzzles me. Really does. See, when you're not praying to Mary, and you don't have Mary, Queen of Heaven, who's the, the mediatrix and the co-redemptrix of Christ. When you don't have that, you're praying to angels, you're praying to saints who got a repository of grace. They had so much grace, they got excess grace. So they can give you grace. So you don't need to go to Christ to get grace. You go to the saints. See? Because they've got this abundance of grace, now you can now draw on grace. So Robert, there's a, there's a, there's a saint for fishing. Right? I forgot his name. But believe you me, if you want to catch fish, you pray to saint so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, that's what I teach. I know, I'm serious. That's my song, Pastor Murphy, you're going in the ear of myth. No, I'm not going in the ear of myth. I'm telling you what. It, every saint has got some extra grace. And that's why you pray to the saints, because they've got more grace than they need. A super abundance of grace. And then you pray to the saints. Now, that uh, in itself is confusing to me. And so, and by the way, it's not just the Roman Catholic Church, it's the Anglo-Catholic Church. What is called the High Church of England. And also the Episcopal Church. The reason why they want an Episcopate and why they now talk about having a distinct office called the Bishop's Office is because they too believe in this thing called apostolic succession. When we come to scripture, uh, we find very, very clearly that that is not so and that apostolic succession is clearly an impossibility when you understand what an apostle really is. And no person in line today has seen the Lord Jesus Christ physically. The resurrected Christ is not a single living person today that has seen Jesus Christ physically in his resurrected body. There's no living person today who has been called physically and visibly by Jesus Christ himself. So therefore, there can be no apostles. It's as simple as that. But let me uh, point out a few other things to you that, that why, why this is so important. Again, if you go to the book of Ephesians, 
you've discovered that Paul says that the church is founded on the who? In Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse number 20. He says, and I built upon the what? The foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. He's talking about the church. And that the superstructure of the church has been built on the foundation. You know, the foundation has already been laid. Who laid the foundation? The prophets and the apostles. Now, do you know anything about a foundation? You only build a foundation once and then you build on the foundation. You don't extend the foundation. You don't... Whatever is there today, I'm saying to you, the foundation has already been laid by the apostles and the prophets. We don't need another foundation. And to my mind, that helps to cement the idea that there are no apostles. See? Because the apostles and the prophets were used in the New Testament to lay the foundation for the church to be built on. Are you telling me the church for 2,000 years has not been built on that foundation? So why do you need a foundation anymore? You see, when you think these things logic, and you begin to think, think, then you begin to understand why it's important to have a grasp of biblical knowledge. See? And you will not be deceived if your mind is engaged in biblical truth. The problem is today, we don't want to think. We want to engage our minds. All we want is something practical. I'm not going to get off on that because I might rub some of you the wrong way. And I want you to listen to me for tonight for just a moment. I want to point out something further to you. I want to point out, in addition to you, that the fact that we pointed out that about the apostles is that they were given the authority to speak authoritatively and teach the church authoritatively. And we have mentioned to you that those apostles who were given that divine authority have already given to us their authoritative teaching in what? Their epistles. So if the apostles have already given their authoritative teaching in their epistles, there's no need for apostles today. See? If you go through this whole matter systematically and logically, you'll begin to see the error of our times uh, as far as that is concerned. But let me show you something else, by the way. Look with me at Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to point out to you, the Apostle Paul is always very careful in his introductions, what he says. And here is one, uh, I'll point out a few, few verses that is the corroborative proof that there are no apostles. Notice what he says in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And who? And Sosthenes, our brother. They said, Pastor Murphy, what's the significance of that? Well, don't you think Paul is a little bit arrogant? How do you begin a letter? You ever say, you ever say David and you? He said, you and David, right? Is, is this now uh, Paul becoming an arrogant diostrophes? That he wants the preeminence? That he put himself first? You know. No, the Apostle Paul is making a distinction between a brother Sosthenes and Paul who holds the office of the Apostle. And he gives priority to the fact that as an office holder and apostle, he puts his name first. Not Sosthenes and Paul. Paul and Sosthenes. See? Not Sosthenes an apostle. Paul and apostle. Sosthenes is a brother. He's a brother, but he's not an apostle. See? Those subtle distinctions may not mean much to you. But the apostle Paul is always careful when he's writing these kind of, of, of and, you know, he doesn't. He's not so much concerned about literary courtesy, you know, making sure that you call the other person's name. Like if I'm going to, I don't say that um, Robert, 
I don't say I and Robert going fishing. Or I and Robert, I said Robert and I. I always put myself in the second, that's the proper grammatical way. That's the courteous way. But Paul ain't concerned about courtesy. Not concerned about courtesy. Because the apostle, what apostle Paul is concerned about is office holding. Priority in those kind of matters and so on. In other words, Paul is talking about his authority. He Listen, uh, Sosthenes and, and Paul are co-equal as brothers. But they're not co-equal as apostles. See, see the point? The office is different. I want to point out something else to you. Uh, look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2. Notice what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And who? What did he say? And who? Timothy who? Timothy, our brother. Now, do you know anything about Timothy? We know that Timothy was one of Paul's great favorites. And we know that in a very real sense, the Apostle Paul was mentoring Timothy to take over in his absence, that he will take care of the churches that were founded. Uh, Timothy, we know, was Paul's troubleshooter. Whenever Paul had a problem in the church, he would dispatch Timothy and try to solve it. See, He was a, a capable young man. But you know, it, it's very significant that the Apostle Paul is writing here, and the Apostle Paul himself cannot elevate Timothy to the level of apostleship. He doesn't have that power. He doesn't have that authority. And by the way, I think we would have expected uh, Paul to write something like this. Now, Timothy is a man who is going to take over from me. He's going to take up the baton. He's going to carry on the work. And I want you, the church, to know that I have passed on my apostolic authority to him. He can't do that. He doesn't have that right. I'm saying to you the subtle distinctions that the apostle Paul made would indicate that the apostles are a select group and a special office. And he has no authority to elevate a brother to the level of apostleship. And if Paul didn't have that authority, the Pope ain't got it either. See? And that's the point I'm making here this evening. But let me show you something else. Now look at Philippians chapter 1. And again we come back to the introductions. Notice how he says in Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy what? Servants. Now he can say that because they're on the level of equality when it comes to being servants. So he can say Paul and Timothy, but he can't say Paul and Timothy apostles. You see the difference? He recognizes that they are on a level of equality, but when it comes to apostolicship, there is a distinction between Timothy and himself. The office belongs to Paul. It does not belong to Timothy. And it cannot be passed on to Timothy. That's the point I'm making here uh, when the Apostle Paul is concerned. He totally excludes the young man from the office of apostleship. But he, he incorporates him into being a servant. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. When it comes to servanthood, we're on the same level. When it comes to apostolic office... Timothy doesn't come in line. Paul is the one that takes that particular claim, etc., etc. So my point in all of this is that no person since the apostolic days has the right to claim to have the office of apostles. It doesn't exist. Let me make one disclaimer here tonight before I go to the, 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 the third claim of the apostle Paul. Now, if you read the scriptures, you find that sometimes the word apostle 
is made in reference to one or two other people that are not part of the twelve. Why is that? Because what does the word apostle means? It means sent, messenger. And when the church was sending a brother and a sister with the offering, he is the messenger, etc., etc. So I don't have a problem today if people meant they are a messenger or a missionary to use the word ap- apostle. I don't have a problem with the term being used here, but they use it in terms of an office with delegated authority. That is where I have the problem. And uh, I hope that you see the distinction between the two. Things that differ are not the same. And I hope you recognize that as well. Now that brings me tonight to the third phrase of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter number 1 and verse 1. Notice what he says. Paul is servant of Jesus Christ. And then he said what? Separated unto the gospel. Now may I ask you a question here. The Apostle Paul, one that practices repetition. Is the Apostle Paul really, in truth and fact, substantially saying the same thing in, in these expressions? Is this tautology? Is this that the Apostle Paul... What I want to say to you is that the Apostle Paul is not repeating himself. What the Apostle Paul, he's building up. He is progressively moving from one level to a, a higher level. And this is the highest level that the Apostle Paul is talking about here. No. That he has been called of God and, as he said, separated unto the gospel. Uh, he's here now adding another description to himself. And he's taking us to a higher level of Christian experience. When the Apostle Paul uses that word separated. Now what does that word mean? And how are we supposed to interpret that? The word separated simply means to set apart. And what Paul is saying is that God has called him and set him apart. Now we're coming to that in just a moment. Because we're going to come to something we call the sovereignty of God. We're going to come to something called the election of God. See? And we're going to show you that God sovereignly chose Paul before he was born. Boy, that's a tough one. See? Very, very tough one. See? But if we're going to teach scripture, and we're going to teach the whole counsel of God, we have to examine verses like this and try to grapple with these verses. See? The point the Apostle Paul is saying is that there was a time when he was set apart by God. Now, I, I want to suggest to you that the Apostle Paul is playing on that words, separated unto the gospel. Let me tell you why I believe that. Do you remember what Paul was before he got saved? What was his title? What was his I- identification mark? What, what, what group or what sect he belonged to? He was what? A Pharisee. Now, do you know what the word Pharisee means? The word Pharisee means separated one. One set apart. And what Paul is saying here, I believe, he's playing on that word separated because the Apostle Paul is saying that there was a time in my life when I separated myself and I didn't want to be ceremonially unclean. I didn't want to be defiled. So I separated myself from society. I was a separatist. I was a Pharisee. I didn't mingle with the publicans and the sinners. I separated myself. But Paul said, I want to tell you about another separation. It was coming a day when God is the one now that separated me. 
I separated myself from sinners, but God separated me to preach the gospel to sinners. And I believe he's plain on those words when he said that he is separated. The Apostle Paul is now claiming that God has set him apart to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And by the way, Paul explains to us exactly what that means in another book that he wrote, the book of Galatians, turn there for just a moment. And I want you to see what Paul said here in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 15 and 16. Notice what he says. Well, look at verse 13 first. He said, for you have heard of my what? Conversation, that is my man of life in time past, in what? The Jewish religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. You thought, fellas thought wasting people? You ever don't waste your way with a gun? Paul was wasting away people with all kinds of violence. See? So he's not the first young man that want to waste people. See? Yesterday we used guns. Paul didn't use guns then. He incarcerated people, etc., etc. But notice what he says. And I profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equal in my own nation, being more what exceedingly jealous for the tradition of my father. But notice verse 15. But when it pleased God... Who what? Separate, see that word? Separated me from when? My mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach the gospel. Wow. To us, God called Paul and separated Paul when he got saved into the Damascus Road. Paul now reaches back into the, uh, the past and Paul said, no, no, no. God did not separate me there under the mouth of the road before I was born. God separated me. You see the mystery of all of that? Before I came on my mother's womb, God had his hand in my life. But you would never know that by what and how that man lived and what he was trying to do. See? That is what Paul is talking about here. It's a, it's a higher level now. Uh, 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 elevated experience where he's now looking in eternity past, in eternity future. And Paul is saying, where do I fit into all of this thing? Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. Long before he was ever called to be an apostle, long before he was ever a servant of God, long before that, God has separated Paul. It is one of the great mysteries of the scriptures. Listen, there are men who have killed themselves trying to understand this, this uh, doctrine. Let me tell you that. I'm telling you that. I went to Bob Jones and there was a professor there who was trying to plumb the debts of this thing. He couldn't get it and he blew his brains out. See? Blew his brains out with a gun. See? See? The people who try to make sense of that. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means what it says. Part of the great mystery. By the way, Jeremiah said a similar thing too. So this is not a New Testament teaching. Look at Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Get these words, Before I formed thee in the belly, I what? I knew you. Get what I said. And before thou camest out of the womb, I what? I sanctified you. I separated you. And I ordained thee to be a preacher to the nations before you were even born. Can you imagine that? 
Is that what the Bible says? Is that what Pastor Murphy says? See? It's an amazing statement that Paul is making here. But once again, he's going into that realm of mystery. And Paul is pointing out clearly, and Jeremiah is, is, is pointing out that before he was born, he was sanctified and set apart in God's, as part of God's purpose. By the way, there are many other examples in the Bible of this, you know. There is Samson. There is John the Baptist who was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. You explain that. There's Samuel. And I am saying to you, the Apostle Paul clearly is saying to us here that in some way he was foreordained to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. In the mind of God, in the purpose of God, he was foreordained to be a great apostle to the Gentiles. It's one of the great teachings that uh, affect many, many people in this regard. But you know what that is all about? That is all about the sovereignty of God. That's what it's about. That God is sovereign. And as a sovereign God, he chooses people to his service and to his ministry. Paul didn't call himself. Paul didn't separate himself. God in eternity already had his hand on Paul. And in time on the Damascus road, he appeared to Paul and called Paul into the ministry. And that is why Paul said, separated unto the gospel. You know what the book of Acts 15, 18 says? Let me quote it for you. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Did you hear what I said? Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So Paul's calling to be the apostle to the Gentile is not an afterthought of God. Uh, Paul's calling uh, to be apostle is not a result of the events and circumstances in life that push Paul to the forefront. It was part of the eternal purpose of God in regards to Paul. And the apostle Paul is just here talking about the excellency of the fact that God had called him to this role as a Gentile, the apostle to the Gentile. And by the way, did we not say that when we look at the Apostle Paul and we look at the kind of ministry that the Apostle Paul was engaged in in the book of Acts, did we not just marvel of how, what a suitable vessel he was, what a, a wonderful agent he was, and how he was so preeminently qualified to fulfill the task of the mission work? You know what I will say to you? The training that Paul had as a little boy coming up was no accident. The fact that Paul was born in a place called Tarsus, where you have an admixture of Hebrew culture and Greek culture, was no accident. See? The fact that the Apostle Paul was born as a free Roman citizen was no accident. The fact that the Apostle Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel and imbibed all the great teaching of that Rabban, understanding the law in dimensions, the, the, the great teacher... It was no accident that Paul was born in that time, in that place, and got the training, and got the, the culture that he got. You know why? In God's mind from eternity. 
He had planned for Paul that he would be the one. He would be, I will qualify this man to be the great writer that he is. I will qualify him. I will create the environment where he will be born. I will create the, the culture that he needs. I will create the intelligence he needs, the brain, the, the intellect he needs, the training he needs. I will prepare him as a vessel from eternity. God had done that long before Paul was ever conceived by his mother. Mystery. That's what sovereignty is about. See? That God is sovereign. See? And there's a purpose being worked out down here on planet earth. And we need not panic. See? See? Here's the church. The rogue man that is destroying the church. They don't even understand that. You know, you can, I can just see the church agitated. This man created havoc, and God sitting on his throne with all the calmness in the world. See, he can hear the prayers coming up. God, get rid of this man! Get rid of this man! And God sits on his throne, serene, calm. He's not ruffled because God knows. Listen, long before he ever came on the scene, I planned it. I planned it. See? That is sovereignty. It is one of the profound mysteries of the Bible, but one that we have to grapple with, one we have to accept unless we become atheists. See? Um, could I say to you something that uh, might surprise you? Somebody got to be in charge, you know. Somebody got to be sovereign. So it's either man is sovereign, the devil is sovereign, or God is sovereign. Somebody got to be in charge. And the Bible says God is sovereign. By the way, this is the great truth that Paul teaches again and again in the book of Romans. When we begin to deal with chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11, dealing with the Jews, <laughs> I can imagine that the Christians became very concerned. Paul, look at these Jews. The majority of them don't even believe in Jesus. See? They call, what, what, what is God's purpose for these Jews? You know, how do you explain that the vast majority of Jews have turned away from this and, and don't even believe in this Jesus? Paul said, you know, just remember one thing. God has a plan. God is sovereign. And Paul says in, in chapter 19, let me take you into what God's plan is. And Paul took them back into the past and showed them the profound blessings that God gave to the Jews. Scriptures, the law. The prophets, the ordinances, the covenants, all of that, Paul says. So that's the past. And then you look at the present. They say, but, but look, Paul, Paul said, well, what has happened now is that they have become blinded because I have blinded them. I have judicially blinded them. See? I've cut them off. See? Well, well, Paul, what does that mean? It means that God's plan for Israel has failed. No, Paul said, let me tell you the future now. I will graft them back in. And everything I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will be fulfilled. Because I am God. See? The point I'm making is this. The sovereignty of God was designed by God to bring comfort and consolation to the church that God is in charge. It has become a doctrine that has become divisive and contentious. So it doesn't serve its purpose. And that is where there's such a problem today in the church. See? But I want to say to you, and I want to say with the greatest affirmation, 
that God is sovereign and God's purpose is being worked out. No matter what seems to be, the plan of God will come to pass and no one in heaven, no one in earth, and to use the Bible, no one under the earth could ever stop it. Why? He's sovereign. This is the teaching of this third claim that the Apostle Paul is saying. And Paul wants these believers to know that God's sovereign hand has been on me. I didn't call myself to be a preacher to the Gentiles. God chose me to be a teacher to the Gentiles. That's what Paul is saying. You remember when, when Ananias, was it Ananias? Or, uh, yeah, and it was sent to meet Paul. He said, go tell him that he's a what? A chosen vessel. Chosen. Now, of course, I'm not going to spend time tonight uh, because there's another aspect that the Bible teaches that we always need to teach it back, and that is human responsibility. You know, the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man is like two tracks of a train. They don't seem to meet. But somewhere in eternity, they converge. Down here, it seems as though they're separate apart. But the Bible is very, very clear that God is not only sovereign, but man is responsible as well. We, we can come to that another time. But what Paul is emphasizing here is that God had separated him. And Paul points out this separation did not begin at the Damascus Road. It began long before he was actually brought of his mother's womb. And all I can say to you is that we need to fall before God. And in the, in the midst of this great mystery... Just recognize, Lord, we don't understand this, but we just know it is there. And we do know one thing. Somebody has to be in charge. And God, I'm glad that you're in charge. I'm glad you're in charge. That is how we do. We adore God see, uh, when we come to a great mystery like this. And we, we, we're saying to him, this is something that is beyond man. But Lord, we humbly accept your teaching in this regard. You know... What happened to Paul, may I say this, has happened to us? Did you know that? Jesus said what? You have not chosen me. But what happened? I have chosen you. Explain that. All we know about this is that God must take the initiative in any person's salvation. God must take the initiative. He is the one that creates the environment for you to get, come under conviction of sin. But he is the one that is the formative agent in bringing you to faith in Jesus Christ. Your responsibility is to respond. Pastor Murphy, can a person reject God? Of course he can. Can a person resist the Holy Spirit? Of course he can. What do we read in the book of Acts? When, when uh, Stephen is, is, is reciting the entire history of the nation of Israel, you know what he ends up saying? You always do resist the Holy Spirit. You resist the Holy Spirit. He lays the blame, the culpability, on the fact that they resisted. God was active, but you resisted. See? And there's not a man that will find himself in, in hell. They will not feel that he's responsible, that he rejected, he refused. See? And there's not a person in heaven that will not give the credit to their salvation to God, but also says, I responded. See? 
That is the balance that the Bible gives in Scripture. So I'm, I'm just saying to you tonight, in this third claim of Paul, he's now elevated Christianity to such a high level of Christian experience that we could very, very clearly, he's coming up the wrong little ladder. He's going higher and higher to this great profound truth that God is sovereign. And you will find throughout the book of Romans, he makes reference to this fundamental truth. And when people ask the question, uh, why does God do that? Paul says, who are you to ask God why he did that? Should the creature said to the creator, why? You'll come to that in the book of Romans. See, There is an arrogance among men that feel we need to understand everything that God does. And God must justify everything that he does. That is human arrogance. Not even you as a mother tells your child why you do certain things. Not in their domain for you to explain everything to your child. There are certain things that you, you as a mother have that right, and you as a father have that right, but you don't feel that you have to give an explanation for everything. God doesn't have to do that. What he wants us to know, he tells us. All we've got to make sure is that we're in the kingdom. See, That we're in the kingdom. That's, that's the important thing. That we are part of the body of Christ, and we are in the kingdom. And you can know that by retracing the steps of your conversion and asking yourself, is this me or God? Did God work in my life? Did God bring me to conviction? Did God do that? Or is it just you? See, If there was no conviction of sin when you got saved, I would say to you, the chances are you were not saved. See, There must be conviction. The Spirit must have worked in your life, etc., etc. Now, of course, we don't talk about these things, right? Because, you know, it rocks the boat. It rocks the boat. But we need to rock the boat. We need to stir up the boat. We're going to stop here tonight. Because I think that is in essence what Paul is teaching. And I hope you understand. Again, now let me ask a question. Let's suppose that we want to get to the, what, is, what sweetens you. Your favorite verse. Chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren. And you, you leap over these verses in scripture. You're the poor for it. I'm the poor for it. Because these are things that we have to deal with and grapple with as Christians. See? And that is why it is such a stupid thing to just rush through these things. They have no meaning for me. No meaning for me. No relevance to me. It's the problem with you, you don't think deep. See? You are so shallow that you want everything on the plate for you. Baby fed with everything. See? The sad situation that we found ourselves in in respect to the church. Let's get into the word. Let's plow into the word. And remind yourself that the best vein of gold is not found on the surface. It's found deep on the inside. And that's why we need to get into God's word in this respect. If these things have disturbed you, it is good for you. It's good that you be disturbed once in a while. Out of your complacency. See? And uh, let the word of God deal with you and speak to you. And whatever it does and say to you. You wrestle with God in these matters. That's what the word is supposed to do, to make you wrestle uh, with these matters. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the teaching of your word. We thank you that there are some things hard to understand, difficult to understand, mysterious. Uh, But we must always present two sides of the truth. We must present what you say in respect to your sovereignty we also present what you say in respect to human responsibility. How we bring these things into convergence, how we explain them, and how we can maintain the, the, both of them at the same time in balance.
is one of the great profound mysteries of our faith. It's just like how we explain the Trinity. That Jesus is God in nature, the Holy Spirit of God in nature, and the Father is God in nature. How do we explain that? There is no analogy that explains that in terms of human, but this is something revealed to us. And so we hold to these truths. We know one thing, that your Holy Spirit will confirm your truth in the hearts of your people. And I ask you to use your sovereignty to bring comfort to us and consolation to us so that we never come to the point of despair and discouragement. To know that there's an eternal purpose working out on planet earth and that a sovereign God is in control bringing about his purpose is relief enough to know that the end is sure as God has predicted it. Help us as your people to strive always to be on your side and in your cause and to fulfill your purpose. Help us to see with the Apostle Paul that you have a calling for us and that you would use us in your service and in your ministry. We all don't have the same calling. We don't have the same ministry. But we all have been gifted by you for a specific purpose. And I pray, Lord, we will fulfill that purpose that we discover it in our lives. Cause your people to, to think. Cause your people to meditate, to reflect. And call your people to grapple with the tension of truth that you find in Scripture. But also, Lord, cause your people to draw great comfort from the Scripture. Bless us tonight as we leave, as we go through this epistle and get further into the meat of the epistle. I pray that the foundation we've laid prepare us for that eventuality. Bless us now we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now that we understand Paul's qualifications, join us again next time on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy tells us about this gospel of God which Paul has proven he is qualified to proclaim. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.